Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, we study the Old Testament on Wednesdays and we study the New Testament on Sundays. And we have to remember here in Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, uh, of the Pentateuch, which is the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. What's happening with Moses is he's giving his final discourse to Israel when they pass over the promised land. Remember the first generation because of their unbelief and fear, the first generation died in the wilderness. And this next generation, they're crossing to the promised land. And, you know, you hear us say from time to time through the Old Testament, observe Israel according to the flesh. The exact same thing happens to you and me because not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, you and me, born into Adam, born into flesh, born into the natural man, the natural woman. Now, in order to get to the promised land, and I speak of paradise, the better mountain, the new Jerusalem, you and me, it requires death. Death to the old man, death to the old woman. We carry our cross. We are crucified with Christ. And this born again believer, this next generation being born again, we pass over to the promised land. You see, we study these things in the Torah, the Old Testament, and it's like, wow, but you know, they're so beautiful. But at the same time, never, ever, ever forget that the law is the additive. You see, we look through these things and we study these things through the lens of the new covenant. We are fully abiding in Jesus Christ, not to be seduced to do the works of the law. Now, if you're listening for the first time or you're a new believer, praise be to the Lord. But you must listen to our study through Galatians, the introduction to Galatians, Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, and then get yourself caught up with our study through Galatians because it's very, very, very important. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses, in his final discourse to Israel before they pass over to the promised land, he says this in verse 1, chapter 9, Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourself. When he says dispossess, it's to inherit. To inherit, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to inherit nations greater and mightier than yourself. Remember when we were studying Exodus and uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers, all these things in the law which pertains to the inheritance. And here we are. Here we are, the things months and years before. I mean, when I'm not talking about years before in our study. I'm talking about years before in, in the, the, the wilderness for, for Israel. And here we are, the, the, this moment of inheritance. You see, he says in verse one, cities great and fortified up to heaven. And remember, remember not long ago, Israel was in bondage. You see, they were in Egypt not too long ago. And so here, when you think about like, wow, Israel's in bondage in Egypt, they're slaves in Egypt. And now all of a sudden, how the Lord says to Moses, and then Moses reiterates to the people. I shouldn't say reiterates, but Moses communicates to the people. In some cases, reiterates, because remember, Deuteronomy is the discourse of Moses. 
A lot of the things that we look at here in Deuteronomy are uh, the repetition and the reiteration of the things that the Lord told Moses to say to the people in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers. You see? And so, you know, it's so powerful when you just reflect back. Wow, it wasn't too long ago when Israel was in bondage, when they were slaves. But what about you? What about me? It wasn't too long ago when you and me were in bondage, when we were slaves. You see? In bondage, under sin. But then when being born again, when that happens... Freedom in Christ. Now, it's not freedom like, okay, we're free to do whatever. We have tremendous freedoms in Christ. Only do not use our freedoms as license to sin. I mean, we just it just so happens that we study this on Sunday. Immense freedoms that we have in Christ. But we have to be wise in applying the word of God to our lives. You applying the word to your life, me applying the word to my life. And that's the walk of a Christian. You see, and don't forget, we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Pericletus. And so when we consider Israel's bondage in Egypt, how powerful is this to remember, to, to know the inheritance that they have given to them by the Lord. He says in verse 2, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim. Now, the Anakim we looked at briefly in Numbers 13. You see, a lot of these lands and nations that are going to be inherited by Israel, they're the big guys. They're a lot bigger. They're a lot stronger than Israel in a physical sense. But who is with Israel? Better put, who is Israel with? You see? The Lord and Israel. Israel and the Lord. But, you know, we see that and in the course of time, it breaks my heart and I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but in the course of time, we're going to see Israel forget the Lord. And if you get in your mind like, oh, how dare they do that? How dare they do that? What about you and me? How dare we do that? We do the exact same thing. When the Lord becomes forgotten, you say, wait a second, how could I ever forget the Lord? Once saved, always saved. How could I ever forget the Lord? It happens. It happens. You see people on fire for the Lord. They're going on mission trips and they're singing, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and praise be to the Lord. But a year later, two years later, five years later, 10 years later, do they still praise the Lord? You don't need me to tell you this. I mean, I, I could give you the answer, but you know people like this. No longer walking with the Lord. You say, wait a second. What about once saved, always saved? You're wrong. But my pastor told me he's wrong. He's not a he. She's a she. Well, you got the wrong formula. Pastors, elders, always, always male. Biblically, always male. When you see a female pastor, when you see a female elder, that's the wrong formula. They're doing it wrong. You see? And we're going to study that hardcore when we get into the pastoral epistles. But we must follow the formula that is written in Scripture. It is holy. It is holy. You say, wait a second. What do you mean? I, I thought once saved, always saved was biblically true. My pastor always told me. You know what I say? Get a new pastor. Because once saved, always saved is not biblically 
true. In Luke 8, I'm just going to read it. I read it all the time and I'm going to read it again. Do not be a short-term believer in Luke 8 verse 13, but the ones who felt the ones on the rock, this is Luke 8 verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, this is speaking about the seed, which is the word of God, verse 11, but in verse 13, Luke 8, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy and these have no root, who believe for a while. They don't believe forever. They believe for a while. How beautiful is it to see that the seed, which is the word of God in verse 11, but the seed, which is the word of God, goes in somebody's ear and the people receive the word of God with joy. And we read that like, wow, praise be to the Lord. They're believers. Except the problem is they have no root. And because they have no root, meaning there's no growth happening, no maturity that's happening, who believe for a while, we say, wow, praise the Lord, they believe, they believe, one saved, always saved. Wait a second, look what happens here. Who believe for a while, they don't believe forever, not for the long haul, and in time of temptation, fall away. Sad. Oh, but my pastor says once saved, always saved. He's wrong. Get a new pastor. He's wrong. You see? Now, I, I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, sometimes I say that and Christians get like, oh, whoa, whoa, does that mean like I, I can lose my salvation if this? But listen, it's entirely possible to lose salvation. But the helper, the Holy Spirit. You and me, we yield to him. We do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, it's possible for people to grieve the Holy Spirit, but I say we do not grieve the Holy Spirit because I'm very hopeful that you and me both were in the same boat, that you yield to the Lord and I yield to the Lord, and we do that for all of our days. You see? And so we get back to our study in Deuteronomy chapter 9, and look what happens here. You have the, the big guys, these other nations, other peoples, the big guys. They're not little guys. I mean, imagine if the Lord says, okay, Israel, you're going to inherit this land. And it's a bunch of like little guys, little pipsqueaks, you know, four foot tall, like little, their arms are like little noodles. And it's like, oh, piece of cake. You know, we can send our children to, to take over this land. You see, now when I say take over this land, a lot of times like the uh, 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 Satanists, agnostics, the atheists, they, well, what do you mean take over this land? What do you mean? Well, we're going to look at that here today. Hold on. We're going to look at that. But look what happens. You know, it's not the little guys that the Lord is saying, this is your inheritance. No, it's the big guys. The big guys, Israel, this is your inheritance. You see? Remember the previous generation, the ones that have died in the wilderness, they were scaredy cats. They saw the big guys and they were like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're scaredy cats. You see, let's go back to Egypt where we had it good. We had the leeks, we had the garlic, we had the fish. We had it good in Egypt. Oh, by the way, you were in bondage, guys. You were slaves, guys. And this 11-day journey in the wilderness turned into 40 years. Remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. I don't want an 11-day journey to be 40 years for anybody, but yet it happens. Why? Unbelief, carnality. Now you say, wait a second. I thought we're talking about Israel according to the flesh. Yes. Yes, we are. But the exact same thing happens to you and me according to the Spirit. Somebody becomes a believer. But how does that believer 
become more mature in Christ. Maybe that person becomes more mature in Christ in five months, in five years, in 50 years, you see? For one person, it might be five months. For another person, it might be five years. For another person, it might be 50 years. Now, why is that? Why is that? It could have been grasped so simply in five months. But why did it take another person 50 years to mature in Christ? You see, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. An 11-day journey for Israel became of 40 years because of their unbelief and their fear, not their fear of the Lord, but the fear of these other peoples. Well, these are the big guys. Lord, can you make them the little guys? So it's a piece of cake. We can send our kids out to fight them. We don't, us old people, we don't have to do it. It's for the little people or for our, our little children. No, no, the, the Lord is with them. It's his strength. It's so Israel can rely on the Lord instead of relying on self. You see, the same thing applies to you and me. We rely on him. We rejoice in our weakness as we studied in 2 Corinthians. Brother Paul, you know, we, I rejoice in my infirmities, he says. This first generation, they didn't learn that lesson and they died in the wilderness. Now this second generation, the previous generation, they were scared. And for the second generation, Moses is saying, okay, it's your turn, guys. It's your turn now. He says this in verse 3, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. You see? The Lord is with Israel. Israel is with the Lord. And the the Lord your God, in verse 3, is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Now, I'm going to give you an example here. And it's going to be somewhat carnal, but I'm going to give you this explanation. A lot of times people say, Wow, you know what? We're, we believe in God, and so now God is going to do it. God is going to do this. He's going to do that, and we don't have to do anything. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, some, sometimes it does. I mean, with Israel, look at what God did to, to Egypt, where the Lord says, okay, you know, I'm going to take care of Egypt. But then in the course of time, not too long from the Exodus, the Lord says, okay, I did Egypt. Now, Israel, you do Canaan. You see? We have to fight. There's the expectation to fight, to engage, and be fully engaged. And in this example, say, for example, we're a squad of troops. And, you know, we get off the uh, 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 hovercraft, we're on, you know, a, a, naval, a, a, a naval troop carrier, you know, with gunships around us. And, you know, there's a, a gunships on, on, on our vessel. But we get on a hovercraft and it takes us to the beach. We land on the beach and we hump for 20 miles. Now, just a little disclaimer, hump is like a hike. And so we hike, we hump for 20 miles. And so we're a squad of troops and we're 20 miles deep. And then all of a sudden, and our orders are to take the hill. Our orders are to take the hill. But as we're there at the hill, we're 20 miles in, 20, you know, uh, 20 miles in. And we do a little recon, we observe, and we realize, wait a second, Intel didn't reveal that this is an enemy fortification. This is a stronghold here, and we're just 
a squad of troops, does that mean that we head for the hills? Does that mean that we turn turn around and go the other way? Does it? No, we're under orders. We're under orders. Our command, our order is to take the hill. Command says take the hill. And so you, we, a group of guys, we got to take the hill. But it's very heavily fortified. Very, very heavily fortified. Cruiser weapons, the whole nine yards. Artillery pieces, everything. We're insanely outnumbered. Does that mean we turn into scaredy cats and turn around and say, oh, no, thanks. We're not going to do this. No. You know what happens? Get on the radio. We get on the radio. You know, fire mission. We call naval gunfire. Naval gunfire, air support, artillery pieces, you know, we, you know, fire for effect, the whole nine yards. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything just, it, I, I say this very carnally, but what is happening on this fortification where we are entirely outnumbered, all of a sudden it's, it becomes level ground. It becomes, now the ground is leveled, you know, with naval gunfire, but I mean, you know, carnally speaking, it becomes a level playing field. We call for air support. We call for the whole nine yards. Remember, we're heavily, heavily outnumbered. And now all of a sudden, you know, everything kind of, it, it, the, the calm comes back. Now, I don't want to say calm, but I meant like, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the smoke clears. Now what happens? Now we enter. We go in and we take the hill. You see, we take the hill. And this is a very carnal, very, very carnal example. But that's what we do when we pray. Oh, Lord, this is too big. Oh, Lord, I can't do this. Oh, Lord. You know, I, I think it's so powerful when we make those prayers to the Lord. Lord, I can't. 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 And I wonder if he's like, bingo. Bingo, you're right. You can't. You cannot do it. But I can. And the same way in my carnal example, we get on the radio and we call for air support. Well, we fall on our face before the Lord. And we cry out to Him. And then all of a sudden, the support comes in. All the support we need. Just blankets, everything, the, the entire landscape. And now we get up and it's like, okay, now I can do this now. We can do this now. Now, I give a very carnal example, but at the same time, with the spiritual application, understand that, yes, that the battle belongs to the Lord, but at the same time, that's not without you and me fighting. That's not without you and me engaging in the battle. You see? We are, when we think about the full armor of God, a lot of times people like to quote, you know, uh, Ephesians, you know, the full armor of God. They talk, like to talk about spiritual warfare and all these things. But it's like, wait, wait a second. How come your posture as a Christian is always defensive? It's always defense, 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 defense. And, you know, I love a good defense. And defense isn't a bad thing. Defense is definitely, absolutely a good thing. But don't forget, we have a sword. We have a sword. Don't forget about offense. 
You see? And so all of a sudden, when we see things in this perspective, we observe Israel according to the flesh. And in verse 3, Moses is telling in this discourse to this next generation of Israel, he says, therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you. And not just before you, before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly. You see, it's not like a a a fifty day campaign where you know they're going in and uh, doing all this you know warfare and all these things. No, destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. You see, and so He says in verse four, "Do not think in your heart." Notice, in your heart, not your mind, not your brain. Do not think in your heart. Notice, we observe Israel according to the flesh in the Torah. And when you see passages like this, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, these are things that the law cannot touch. The law cannot touch the heart. Exposes one of the loopholes of the law. One of the loopholes of the Torah, one of the loopholes of the law of Moses. You see, as New Covenant believers, we understand through our study in Hebrews that the law was created with loopholes to make way for a better covenant. I'll read it since I mentioned it. Turn with me to Hebrews 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, we see this. In Hebrews 8, verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. That's Jesus Christ, and the mediator of a better covenant, which was established. This is Hebrews 8, in verse 6, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, that's the law, the law of Moses, if it was faultless, and we know through our study in Galatians and other studies, Romans 2, that the law is not faultless. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. But if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. You see, the law is created with loopholes. The law is still holy. But the law has certain inabilities, one of which is the ability to address the heart. It can address the mind. It can address the body. I mean, when I say the mind, it can, uh, 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 from, a, from a cognitive standpoint, where the law says, do this, okay, we do this because the law says it. You know, it can address that. I don't mean the mind like, you know, the depths of the mind, like the conscience. I mean the mind like in terms of, you know, from, an, from a, 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 a logical approach. You see, from an intellectual approach, the law says this, okay, I do it. The law says this, okay, I do this. The law says this, okay, we do this. If we don't do this, then we are disobedient. That's the law. I'm not advocating the law. But the law does have that level of um, intellectuality, you know, and then at the same time, understand that it cannot go down to the marrow. It cannot go down to the heart. One of the loopholes of the law. The law is the additive. Remember our study through Galatians. And yet the Lord says here in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 4, Do not think in your heart after the Lord has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, you see, 
Because of my righteousness, look how awesome we are. Because of my righteousness, look how righteous we are. And it's because of our righteousness. No, you know what that does? That gives birth to pride and arrogance. You see? Which is, you know, steps in the wrong direction because humility is the key. Humility. We just studied that last week. Humility is the key. Last Wednesday and, and even on Sunday, humility. It's because of my righteousness. Look how awesome we are. Look how awesome you are. Look how awesome I am. And it's because of our righteousness that we have achieved these things. No way. No way. It is prideful. Yes, righteousness is beautiful. Yes, we can become more righteous and we become more righteous and we grow in Christ and moving on to perfection. The author and finisher of our faith. We move on. We, 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 we run the race set before us and we grow. We mature in Christ. But does that mean, wow, look how righteous we are? No. No, just the opposite. Hold on to humility. And this is a warning that Moses is giving the children, the next generation, to pass over into the promised land. He says, do not think in your heart. Now you see a little glimpse of the intimacy that Moses and the Lord had together. Because Moses had heart knowledge. Not that he had the head knowledge too. But it was deeper. Much deeper than the head knowledge. It's not an intellectual, it's not the logical approach. That's religion. And religion cannot save you. Religion absolutely cannot save you. Oh, I'm an intellectual and I do what the Bible says. Okay, but what about in your heart? A lot of times you go, oh yeah, I don't, I, I don't like the sex, the drugs, the crack, and all these things. And they say that publicly, but what do they do privately? The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. Why? Because they don't think that way in their heart. They have religion. They do not have relationship, but they have religion. And religion cannot save you. And this warning that Moses is giving the next generation, don't think this way in your heart, you guys. That's what he's saying. After the Lord has, the Lord has, has, has cast them out before you, you see? So notice, in order for that to happen, that means Israel is victorious. They've had victory in their, in their battles. They've had victories. And don't think in your victory that it's because of your righteousness. That's what Moses is telling the next year. Remember, Moses is an old man and he's dying. He's about ready to die. And he's telling him, don't think this way, you guys. It's because of my righteousness. Don't do that. Because of my righteousness, he says in verse 4, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Very interesting. A lot of times when you talk about Israel, a lot of times the atheists, the agnostics, the liberals, all these people who do not fear the Lord, this all oh, Israel shouldn't be here. Israel is, you know, this is an apartheid state and all these things and anti-Israel this, anti-Israel. Remember, anti-Israel is in accordance to the antichrist spirit. If you're Jewish, I know a lot of Jewish people who are like, whoa, I got to be careful with Christians because y'all are crazy. And I got to tell you something. Very few Jewish people say y'all. <laughs> but I'm giving an example. You know, you talk with these Jewish guys. Y'all Christians are crazy. And I admit, fully admit, a lot of Christians are crazy. 
because they don't have a proper understanding of scripture. If you're Jewish, I want you to know that in me, you have a friend. I'll never get tired of saying that. In me, you have a friend. You say, wait a second, what about Luther? What about John Piper? What about all these people? Look, they're crazy. I respect Luther for what he did with the New Testament. What he did with the New Testament, he should have done with the Old Testament. Had he done that, he wouldn't have written his anti-Semitic uh, 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 doctrine. He wouldn't have established his anti-Semitic doctrine in accordance with the uh, uh, Old Testament and New Testament together. You see? A lot of people, uh, Gospel Coalition, the John Piper types, all oh, replacement theology, this God is done with Israel and now his focus is on the church. No, that's that's not even in the Bible. This anti-Israel Israel sentiment it is in accordance with the Antichrist spirit, which is from Satan. You see, God's promises to Israel, they're not over. God's promises to you, if you're Jewish, it's not over. But understand, it's part of the curse. In accordance to the law, blindness coming to Israel. You know why? Because of the religious leaders. Just as you see the religious leaders and the political leaders in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, the Chronicles, the exact same way. Look at the religious leaders in the Gospels. We have no king but Caesar. His blood be on us and our children. Boom. Not good. Not good. You see? The exact same way you have corruption in the priesthood and in the leader, political leaders and the kings and chronicles, it happened in the Gospels. Nothing new under the sun. And according to the law, one of the curses of the law. You see? And the only way out of that is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, I say that if you're Jewish. And if you're Jewish, even if you're not Jewish, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back, you listen, and we grow together. But notice here this warning that Moses has for this next generation. It's not because of your righteousness, you guys. It is because of the wickedness, he says in verse 4. It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. You see, and some of the law's strictness, the law of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, some of the law's strictness is a result of the surrounding nations. You see, the other nations, the other peoples, they do this, they do that, they do this, they do that, an abomination before the Lord. And in the law, Leviticus, a little bit in numbers, but a lot in Leviticus. Do not do this. The command of the Lord, do not do this. It is not for you. Do not do it. And I love this so much because you, it, Moses is telling them, look, it's not because of you, because of your righteousness, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is bringing you in to possess the lands. I love when, you, when we read the New Testament, how people such as Paul were trash, how he says we're trash. We're the scum of the earth. Now, remember, in our study in 1 Corinthians, you make the distinction between worker and field. You see? Worker and field. You make that distinction. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. And then why 
and listen to 2 Corinthians, you'll understand more. You'll mature in Christ. But you see Paul referring him to himself and his entourage. We're trash. We're the scum of the earth. You see, humility. It's not because, oh, look how righteous we are. Look how righteous. Look how righteous I am. You know, Paul saying, look how righteous I am. Titus saying, look how righteous. No, they were killed. You see? In verse 5, Deuteronomy 9, verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. You see? You say, well, wait, wait a second. Righteousness is a good thing. Absolutely, righteousness is a good thing. But it is not the reason for inheriting the land. The reason for inheriting the land is because of the wickedness of the, these nations, as is written in verse 4. That's the reason. Yes, there's promises for the, from the Lord for Israel, these promises to inherit. But then at the same time, understand that the Lord is at work, the manifold grace of God, the manifold mercies of God, the manifold love of God in the Old Testament, in the Torah. How, you know, Jethro, a non-Jew, saw God reveal himself to Egypt. Jethro witnessed that. And instead of Jethro staying a Midianite, says, you know what? I'm defecting. I'm getting out from under the cover of the Midianites and I am getting under the cover of Israel, but Israel that's blessed of God. You see how powerful that is? And understand that there's provisions in the law for non-Jews, people who are not of the tribes, to be grafted into the camp of Israel. Provisions in the law, an Old Testament example of Gentiles being grafted into the promises by faith. Listen to our study through Galatians. See? Only the Lord could do such a thing. This is too. This is impossible for 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 the human mind to even fathom the manufacturing of it. It's impossible across generations, hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, it's not because of your righteousness. Moses is saying to the people, or the uprightness of your heart, that you go in to possess the land. You see, righteousness is definitely a good thing. But it's because of their wickedness. And how the clarion call of God goes forth from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Repent, 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 repent. If you've forgotten me, repent, repent. If you don't remember me, repent, repent. Come back to me. If you don't know me, repent. Come to me. I don't care. You're Midian, you're Canaanite. Your Jebusite, I don't care. I teach from America. I'm an American citizen. But I, I could care less if you're Russian, Chinese, Mexican, you know, Swahili. I don't care. God is love. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin. The wages of sin is death. If you die without Jesus Christ, you will die. I'm not talking about the first death. Everybody experiences that. When you die and then you get buried and then, you know, people say, okay, that's it. But that's not it. The Bible speaks of something which is called the second death. 
And if you're subject to the second death, that's straight up lake of fire. That's straight up burning and gnashing of teeth. And if you die without Jesus Christ, you will burn in hell. I love you, but I can't candy coat it. That's what the Bible says. And I don't want that for you. And you know what? God doesn't want that for you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. That The wages of your sin, it still has to be paid. It's not just like, okay, you know, your balance is zero and no big deal because that would be a corrupt judge. No, the debt is paid, except you don't pay it. Jesus Christ paid it with his life, with his blood. We were bought at a price. You see? And understand that the Lord is doing something here. Even in the Torah, he's at work making himself known. Provisions in the law for non-Jews, people who are not in the camp of Israel, to be grafted in. Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites, Hivites, who see, because the Lord has revealed himself in Egypt, and he's still revealing himself through the people, now through Israel. And provisions in the law to say, okay, you know, don't turn them away. But to say, okay, you're grafted in. You can do the feasts and the festivals and all that. You can observe the days, the months, and all these things as written in the law. And I say that on purpose. Because that's the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But understand that the law has a purpose in pointing to Jesus Christ. You see? He says in verse 5, but because of the wickedness of these nations. It's not because you're so awesome, Israel. It's not because, oh, Israel is, you know, look how righteous they are. Look how righteous they are. No. No, it's the wickedness. It's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You see, in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, remember, God made himself known in Egypt. You see? And now, there's still people, uh, people still refuse to acknowledge him. Not the, I mean, not the, the majority, but not the, I mean, there, there are still some people such as Jethro. You see, I don't want to be a Midianite. No way. I was a Midianite and I was a priest of Midian. But whoa, when I saw what happened to Egypt and I saw what the Lord did, the God of the Hebrew people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I saw that, whoa, I don't want to be a Midianite. I'm going to worship him because I thought these gods were good. But whoa, the God of Israel, he is God. He is almighty. There's no one higher than him. And I'm going to go worship him. You see, Balaam was in the same position, not in the camp of Israel. And then all of a sudden he believed in the Lord, except he walked with the Lord, not forever. He was just as we looked at in John, uh, in Luke 8, he was a short-term believer. You see, he was a short-term believer. And so we see how all these beautiful passages, like when, you know, that, that he may, in, in, in verse 5, <clears throat> That he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, understand, this is going to happen again. This is going to happen again. I mean, if you've been walking with us with, for a while, you remember our study through Revelation, and we're going to get there again. 
this is going to happen again. Where just like it's happening in, in you know, when Israel passes into the promised land, not what judgment is coming, judgment of God is coming through the armies of God, which is his people. But the same thing is going to happen again. The armies of the Lord returning to the earth. The Lord himself will be there. Not coming as a lamb as he did the first time, but coming as a lion. Turn with me really quick to Genesis 15. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, this is a little refresher course because we turn to Genesis 15 and we see this. In verse 13, this is the Lord and Abram, Abram before his name changed. In verse 13, uh, Genesis uh, uh, 15, he says, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. This is when they go into uh, Egyptian captivity, bondage, slavery. In verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. These are things that have been fulfilled in our study through the Torah. But then he says to Abram, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. You see, to say to Abram, Look, your descendants, they're going to be in bondage. But they're going to come back. They're going to return here. Verse 16, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You see? It's because of the iniquity of these peoples. It's not because, oh, look how righteous they are. Look how righteous Israel is. Look how righteous they are. No. In the camp of Israel, you're going to see little pockets of righteousness. Moses, Aaron, you're going to see little pockets of righteousness. Uh, 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 Joshua, Caleb, you're going to see these pockets of righteousness. But you're also going to see a lot of the flesh, a lot of the flesh, even with Moses. Remember, Moses was restricted from the promised land because of his own disobedience. He misrepresented the Lord. That first generation must die. But here in Genesis 15, verse 16, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And yet the whole time when you see iniquity, the Lord makes himself known. Return to me, return to me, return to me. You don't know me? Okay, come to me, come to me, come to me. Okay, you knew me, but now you're not walking with me? Okay, return to me, return to me, return to me. And he uses his vessels his prophets, to say these messages, the apostles, to say these messages, return to me. It's not because of the righteousness of... Moses is telling this next generation. It's not because, look, you're awesome. No. It's because of their wickedness. And because of their wickedness in judgment unto them, they're going to lose their land. Their land becomes an inheritance to us. You see? A lot of times people say, oh, we're losing our nation. We're losing our nation. Okay. Maybe we're under judgment. You see? What do we do? We got to save America. We got to save America. How do you know we're not under judgment? Now I'm speaking to the Americans. 
and I'm an American myself, how do you know we're not under judgment? When we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and we see righteousness revealed to us from the Word, and the Word became flesh. And then you look at the you look at the landscape of where we live. I'm speaking to Americans. You see? We see this model through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We see this model through the Bible of how God works when he says it's righteousness that exalts a nation. You see? And it's unrighteousness that causes a nation to decay. You see? It's very interesting for that. For such a time as this, we're seeing the convergence of all sorts of varying Bible prophecies. All sorts. The uh, It's happening. And yet we continue here. In verse uh, 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 6 of Deuteronomy 9, he says, therefore, this is Moses, old Moses speaking to the younger generation. He says, therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Whoa. <laughs> wow, this is humbling for old Moses. I mean, picture that. You and me, were in the camp of Israel. We're in the second generation. We have this, we're excited. Wow, look, we're going to go to the promised land and look, we're we're that generation our fathers wanted to do this and you know yeah they died but you know now it's for us and wow we're so excited to cross over, cross over the promised land but okay Moses he's an old guy and let's just let him speak now let, you know I can barely hear him but we can make out what he's saying you know and then all of a sudden he says because it's not because of your righteousness for you are a stiff-necked people whoa Moses come on we want this is some kind of pep talk Moses come on we want, tell us the good things Tell us that everything's going to be fine and dandy in the promised land. Tell us that everything's going to be, you know, we're going to have beautiful things there. Everything's going to be beautiful. Tell us that. Well, we're, 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 we're going on our journey now, Moses. Tell us that. We want to feel good about ourselves. Tell us that, Moses. Moses says, look, if you want that, you can have that. But you have to be obedient to the Lord. If you want the good things, you want to be blessed of the Lord, you have to obey him. But you're a stiff-necked people. You're a stiff-necked people. In order not to be a stiff-necked person, a new heart is required. A new heart is required. And you know, I only know one person who gives a new heart. His name is Jesus Christ. I've searched high and low. There's only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He gives a new heart. He gives a new spirit. The law itself, Moses himself, writes about Jesus Christ. Remember the Pharisees? Oh, we're not going to believe in you, Jesus. You say you're the Messiah. We don't, we don't believe that, but we believe Moses. We're hardcore. We believe Moses. And Jesus was straight up like, what are you talking about? I'm paraphrasing. But how can you believe what Moses wrote when he wrote about me? You see, as is written here in verse 6, you are a stiff-necked people. Imagine that generation. Imagine that's you and me in the, in the camp. 
wow, I mean, like, I want, I want, Mo- I want to hear Moses, this servant of the Lord, who he's not going to the promised land. You know what's up with that? You know, exposing a little bit of our carnality. I want him to tell me that everything's going to be beautiful. I want him to tell me that everything's going to be like everything's going to be awesome when we get into the promised land. I want him. I want to hear good things. And Moses says, you guys are stiff-necked people. Exposing, in the law itself, exposing one of several, if not many, loopholes of the law, which makes way for a better covenant. We're in the Torah. Straight up Deuteronomy. And yet loopholes are being exposed, which makes way for a better covenant which is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Also the promise, but the fulfillment of the law. And so we look in verse 7. He just told them, you guys are stiff necks. He says, remember, exclamation point. Remember, exclamation point. Do not forget. Do not forget. You say, wait a second. What is he going to tell us now? You know, is he going to say, do not forget how awesome the Lord is. Do not forget how good the Lord is. Do not forget how lovely the Lord is. I mean, those are all beautiful attributes. No, he doesn't go that way. He says, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Whoa, come on, Moses. Hit the brakes on that, Moses. I want to pep talk. I want to, I want to, I want to feel good about myself, Moses. I want to, I want to know that when we get to the promised land, everything's going to be Everything's going to be beautiful. And yet old Moses, remember, exclamation point, do not forget how you, you, not just how the Lord was angry. Don't forget that the Lord was angry. He doesn't say that. Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. You say, wait a second. That was, I wasn't even born yet, Moses. That was my dad. That was my mom. It was them. Okay. But who did you allow yourself to be influenced by? The righteous ones? Or your own family? <laughs> The righteous one, the lady over here who honored the Lord, the guy over here who honored the Lord in another, in the uh, other tent, I'm still in the camp of Israel, but in the other tents over here, different tribes or those in your own tent, mommy and daddy, who did you allow yourself to be influenced by? You see, so oh, that wasn't me, Moses. That was my mom and dad. That was mommy and daddy. No, it was you. You were complicit. Because look at your neighbors. You had this example of righteousness right here next door. And yet you chose to be influenced by mommy and daddy. You see? It's so powerful when we study these things as new covenant believers. And Moses is saying, old Moses. He doesn't say, don't forget that the Lord was had his wrath upon you. No. Don't forget how you provoked. <laughs> I don't mean to like chuckle in saying that because it's pretty hardcore. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. But it's really kind of easy. I'm not advocating the law. But it's really kind of easy. You just do what the Bible says. 
Do what the Bible says. Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer. Applying the word. Oh, but mommy says it's okay. Okay, mommy's not a believer. She's going to burn in hell. Oh, but daddy says it's okay. She's not a, he's not a believer. He's going to burn in hell. You see? It's, you say, wait a second. My mom and dad, they, they would never steer me wrong. They don't know. They're blind. You see? I've had these young, these conversations with young people. And they're like, wow, you know, it's so hard because, you know, I come to church and nobody in my family wants to come with me. And I, it's so difficult because all these things. And it's like, look, okay, let your home be your mission field. Let your home be your mission field. You're 13 years old. Come to church, you know. Live peaceably and strive to live peaceably with everyone, except that's a little microcosm. In the, you know, not speaking in a society, uh, like a societal confines. I'm speaking about your own roof, those under your own roof. Live peaceably, be wise. You see? And in the course of time, what you're doing spiritually and you're interceding and you're praying for your mom, praying for your dad, all of a sudden you're chipping away at their calloused heart. And then they become believers in the course of time. You see, a little mission field for a little 13-year-old boy. And his mission field is his own house. Praise be to the Lord because, you know, whoever, he, he excels in the little things. How the Lord can use him when he stood for the Lord in his own house? To his mom, to his dad, authority figures in his own house. And yet, not that he stood against them. He has to be wise, respecting their authority. But at the same time, ultimately respecting the authority of the Lord and Jesus Christ in his life. You see, he had his own little 13-year-old boy in his battles. And his battles at home. And victorious in Christ. We see passages like this. We look at Israel according to the law. But what about you and me according to the Spirit? You see? In verse 7, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. You see? Oh, but Moses, come on, we want a pep talk. We want to hear the good things. We want to hear that everything's going to be fine and dandy. We're God's people. You see? God's people are godly. God's people are godly. Old Testament, New Testament. God's people are godly. That's how you know. Look at the fruit. Our Lord himself tells us. You got to look at the fruit. Also in verse 8, also in Horeb, you see all these people, especially the uh, Hebrew Roots Movement people, they always cite Horeb, Mount Sinai, oh, Horeb, and Horeb, and Horeb, and Horeb this, and Horeb that, how beautiful it is, let's do the law, let's observe the Sabbath, let's do these things of the law. But look at this in verse 8, also in Horeb, you provoke the Lord to wrath. The Hebrew Roots Movement people won't talk about this verse, because in Horeb, was also wrath. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Let's not forget Horeb. 
Oh, but in Horeb, the, the, the tablets came down in Horeb. Okay. Yeah. Wrath did too. Don't forget. That mountain is death. Listen to our Galatian study. In the law is death. Listen to our Roman study. Verse 9, when I went up and when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, this is when Moses received the blueprints. Remember our study in Exodus, how Moses received the blueprints when he went into the cloud, outside the cloud was Joshua. Down the mountain a little bit. Not all the way down, but just a little bit down. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. The covenant which the Lord made with you. Then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Remember, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of the living God. Man shall not live by bread alone. And what did Moses do? He neither ate nor drank. He was with the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 10, then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Now, you see how what happens here is uh, when the commandments were given verbally, but they were rejected. Now, these commandments are given written on tablets of stone, and they were also rejected. In verse 11, it says, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which has loopholes. Remember, there's a better, which makes way for a better covenant. We already looked at a couple loopholes already. In the very beginning, we already looked at a couple loopholes. And now we see this in verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. For your people, notice how the Lord doesn't say my people, how your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly, which is to decay the the, the corruption, to decay. They have quickly turned aside from the way. They have quickly turned aside from the way. These are still happening today. Quickly turning aside. You see? Quickly turning aside from Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Lord says, look, remember our study through Exodus? Moses is on the mountain, in the cloud. Joshua on the outside of the cloud. And then the Lord tells Moses, hey, go to your people. Moses comes down, goes down a little bit, sees Joshua. Him and Joshua come down the mountain expecting to see the elders of Israel, Aaron. Nope, nobody's there. Wow, I wonder where they went, Joshua. I don't know, Moses. But let's go down a little bit further. What's this we hear? What is this noise I hear? And then they get down, boom, golden calf right there. There's Aaron. There's the elders. And look at what they're doing in the camp of Israel. You see? In verse 12, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. That's the golden calf. Furthermore, now, 
And this next generation, they're, they're listening to old Moses speak. Old Moses in his final dissertation. Wow, Moses, come on. We want a pep talk. We want to hear that everything's going to be fine and dandy. Look, we're, we're, we want to enter the promised land. Moses, please tell us, Moses, you already called us stiff-necked. You already called us, told us to remember. You already told us don't forget. You already tell us how we provoked the Lord to wrath. You also told us how we provoked to wrath again in Horeb. Moses, you've said enough. Please, Moses, tell us the good things. And what does Moses say? Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked here is to be stubborn, rebellious, and hard-hearted. They are a stiff-necked people. This is the law's inability to fix another loophole in the Torah, another loophole in the Pentateuch, another loophole in the writings of Moses who writes about Jesus Christ. The law has loopholes to make way for the better covenant, which is the covenant in Jesus Christ. Remember, the law was the additive to the promise because of unrighteousness, because of trespasses, because of sin. Until the seed, and the seed is here, the seed is Jesus Christ. You see? That seed is the word of God. Remember the parable from Luke 8? That seed is the word of God. You say, wait a second. I thought you said it was Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. You see? The law has an inability to address the heart. The law has an inability not, to, not just to address the heart, but to heal the heart, to give a new heart, to give a new spirit, a new mind. The law cannot do that. But Jesus Christ can. You see? And the next generation, Moses, come on, please tell us good things. Come on, Moses, please. No, they need, Moses is saying what they need to hear. You guys need to hear this. Old Moses, you guys need to hear this. I know you want to hear the good things. I know you want to hear that everything's beautiful. Everything's awesome. Everything's going to be fine and dandy. No, things will be fine and dandy when you obey the Lord. If you obey the Lord. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you're going to be like your influencers, mommy and daddy, things aren't going to go well for you. You see? You say, wait a second, Moses, you said that we provoked the Lord. I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't even born yet. Yeah, your fathers were. Mommy and daddy were. And don't forget, mommy and daddy are dead. You see? Oh, Moses, you're too hardcore. You're too strict, Moses. How dare you say that? Look, we don't like how you say that, Moses. You see? Now you're going to understand when you observe Israel according to the flesh, you understand the inability of the law. Now you're going to understand the ups and downs of Israel after they enter the promised land. You're going to understand the ups and the downs. You see? You're going to understand why there is silence in Israel. And yet the Lord speaks to little Samuel, little baby Samuel. Beautiful, beautiful young Samuel. You're going to understand why. 
You say, okay, that's the Old Testament, but I'm in the New Testament. Okay, New Covenant. Praise be to the Lord. But do you have religion or do you have relationship? Because if you have religion, you're also going to have the ups and downs. But when you have relationship, relationship is like, I don't want to cheapen relationship with the Lord by saying it's a package deal, but I'm going to say it that way. It's a package deal. Not that, you know, no disrespect to the Lord. No disrespect to him in any way, shape, or form. But it is a package deal. Because you know what God our Father does? He gives you the Holy Spirit of Jesus who cries out in your heart, Abba, Father. Just as we studied in Galatians. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand. You see? It's much deeper. Much deeper. It's not the intellect and the logic. It's the heart. You see? Oh, Moses, please. You're too hardcore, Moses. We want to hear the good things. Please tell us. Give us the puffery, Moses. We want to hear the puffery. Furthermore, in verse 13, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Whoa. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. That's the intercession of Moses. A type of Christ. You see? When the Lord says, okay, Moses, you know what? I'm going to wipe them out. And, you know, I'm going to start fresh with you, Moses. And Moses says, no, Lord. No, Lord. Don't, don't blot them out, Lord. Blot me out. Turn it to me really quick to Exodus 32. <clears throat> Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, verse 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of... <clears throat> Blot me out of your book, which you have written, you see. The Lord is telling Moses, Moses, you know, step aside. I'm going to blot them out and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses intercedes and says, no, Lord. No, Lord, take me instead. Take my name and blot it out of the book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. You see the intercession of Moses, but at the same time, you see how the Lord just says, point blank, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Understand, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not into Reformed theory. I call People say Reformed theology. I call it Reformed theory because it's only a theory. Understand that names, just as we looked at in Luke 8, how it's entirely possible for somebody to be a believer, but not forever. To be a believer for a short time, Period of time, in time of temptation, to fall away. Be a believer, name goes in the book of life. And in time of temptation, falling away, name coming out of the book of life. Biblically speaking, names can enter the book, names can exit the book. You have a choice to make. You see, obedience. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Reformed. If you are a Calvinist, if you are Reformed, I love you. Come out of her, my people. The Calvinists and Reformed people are starting to teach, take the mark of the beast and you can still be saved. It has no, no, no impact to your salvation. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, I say these things, you're like, what is he talking about? Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, or if you're not Calvinist and Reformed, you're like, whoa, what was he talking about? Listen to our study. You might have to search for it for a while because it's kind of old. Uh, it's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And when you find that, listen to that. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Reformed and Calvinist saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Now, if you are Calvinist and Reformed, you hear me say, come out of my people. And you're like, whoa, whoa that's blasphemy. What is he talking about? Listen to our study through Romans 7, Romans 7 through Romans 11, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Listen, and then you'll understand, you'll understand the biblical concept of predestination, not predestination according to the theory, but predestination according to the Bible. Okay, that's if you're reformed and Calvinist, and I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things because I love you. Names can enter the book of life and names can exit the book of life. Now, let's continue our study through Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse... Um, in verse 14, when the Lord says... Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier, mightier and greater than they. And you see the intercession of Moses. And then in verse 15, so I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. You see, I mean, it's just, just Moses and Joshua. Just Moses and Joshua. That's it. And the whole camp was defiled. The entire camp defiled. Except for Moses and Joshua. In verse 16, And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You say, but it wasn't us, Moses. It wasn't us, Moses. That was our parents. That was our, our fathers, our moms, and our dads. It was them, Moses. It wasn't us. Look, I wasn't even born yet. Look, Moses, I was just a little kid at the time. I didn't even know. But who is it that you allow to be your influencer? Okay. You want mommy and daddy to be the influencer? Okay. They're dead. They're dead. Why are they dead? You could say, well, because they were afraid in Canaan. Okay, yeah. True. But there was more. This fear and disobedience and unbelief, it was endemic in mommy and daddy. That was their behavioral traits. And you want to be influenced by them? Then you understand this warning of Moses. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. But that wasn't us, Moses. Look. The assembly of Israel. The assembly of Israel together as one. No, make no separation from that. In accordance with the promise, all Israel will be saved. Provisions in the law for Gentiles grafted in. All Israel will be saved. Listen to our study through Romans 11. You'll understand all Israel will be saved. You see? 
and it's so powerful. When we study these passages as new covenant believers, because we have a deeper, deeper, deeper understanding. You sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a golden calf, exclamation point, had made for yourselves. You see, the spoken word rejected. Now Moses has the written word, the two tablets at Horeb rejected by the deeds in the camp of Israel. He says again in verse 16, you had turned aside quickly from the way. Whoa. And it is happening today. Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, not in accordance to the law, but in accordance to the fulfillment of the law, turning aside so quickly from the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Verse 17. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of, out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Oh, but Horeb is so beautiful. Horeb, Horeb, Horeb. But don't forget, in Horeb, you provoked in verse 8, the Lord to wrath. Don't forget in Horeb. If you're Hebrew roots and you're listening, don't forget in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Don't forget. Oh, but Horeb is so beautiful. Horeb is so beautiful. There's ugly too. There's ugly too. He says in verse 17, Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes, and I fell down. This translates as I fell down prostrate. I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Remember, man does not live by bread alone. Because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. How beautiful is this to see the intercession of Moses? Yes, the intercession intercession of Moses, but as a type of Christ, as a type of Christ. Oh, but Moses is a prayer warrior. That's so awesome. Absolutely. Moses is a prayer warrior and it's absolutely beautiful. But why? But Why? He says in verse 18, because of all your sin, the intercession of Moses, yes, it is beautiful. And yes, he's a prayer warrior. He's on his face before the Lord a lot. But there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of trespass. Remember all the animals, a lot of blood. Why is there a lot of blood? Because there's a lot of sin, a lot of the carnal nature which needs to be addressed, and it is addressed, it will be addressed, and even that whole process becomes corrupt when the Lord becomes forgotten. And it happens. The Lord becomes forgotten. Everybody says, oh, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. You have people, oh, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. Okay, yeah, I'm in agreement. We're in the last days. But doesn't that, do you not fear the Lord? Do you not fear the Lord? For the events of the last days to come to pass. You read Revelation. For these events to come to pass. You know what must also come to pass? The Lord must become forgotten. It breaks my heart to say that. But the Lord must become forgotten. And it is happening at a rapid rate. 
The Lord has become and is becoming further forgotten. And yet the Lord will make himself known. Just as he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, God on earth. And he'll do it again. The Lord is going to do it again and make himself known to the Antichrist who calls himself God on earth and wants to be God when he's indwelt by Satan himself. Nothing new under the sun. Read Ecclesiastes. Nothing new under the sun. Oh, Moses is such a prayer warrior. He's such a prayer. It's because of your sin, Israel. You see? A hardcore message for elders. Now, my own personal message for elders. If you're an elder in a church and you're listening, my strong exhortation to you is to flourish in your duties, your God-given duties, if the Lord has called you. Flourish in these duties and free up your pastor. Free up your pastor so that he can teach, so that he can teach and pray. Teach and be on his face before the Lord, interceding for the flock of God, for their sin. You see? And yet the Lord is reminding this next generation, the one that's gonna, the ones that are going to pass into the promised land. Don't forget these things, you guys. You guys are like, you guys are young, the next generation. How exciting this is. You're going to go into the promised land, but don't forget. Don't forget how many times you provoked the Lord to anger. Oh, Moses, it wasn't us. We weren't even born yet. That was mommy and daddy. Okay, okay, okay. Mommy and daddy are dead. For us today as new covenant believers, the ability for parents to influence their kids. If you're a parent and you're listening, what is your influence to your children? You see? Is it of the spirit or is it of the flesh? If it's of the flesh, repent. It's If it's of the spirit, rejoice and be humble. You see? Parents today, oh, you got to listen to me. You got to respect your elders, respect your parents. You got to honor me. I'm your parent. I'm your mommy. I'm your daddy. You got to honor me. Misapplication of the Bible, misapplication of the truth of God's holy word. And a lot of kids unsuspecting, okay, I'm going to do what mommy says. I'm going to do what daddy says. You see? Without remembering, oh, mommy provoked the Lord to anger. Daddy provoked the Lord to anger. Look at the fruit. I look at the fruit and I see a lot of mess. I don't see good fruit. And I think I'm going to do what mommy says. I think I'm going to do what daddy says. And what do you see? Destruction. Same thing. Observe Israel according to the flesh. And look at the church. Look at the saints today in accordance to the spirit. If they're walking according to the spirit. And if they're not, according to the flesh. You see? It's plain as day. It's right here before us, set before our very eyes. And when you have a new spirit, a new heart, we read the Bible and all of a sudden we understand because it is spiritually discerned. Don't provoke the Lord to anger. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Don't provoke him to anger. He says in verse 19, for I was afraid. 
I was afraid of the anger. You know, thank goodness that at least somebody was afraid. Somebody had the fear of the Lord, Moses. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. At least, at least one person had the fear of the Lord. I shouldn't even say one person. Two people. Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua. How beautiful is this to see Moses and Joshua, both of them as a type of Christ. Leader in the wilderness and leader to the promised land. Moses and Joshua, as both of them as types of Christ. But the Lord listened to me at that time also, you see. Jehovah Shammah. You know, we have like Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. The Lord hears. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. You see, the intercession of Moses and the Lord in verse 20, the Lord was very angry with Aaron. Remember, Aaron fashioned the golden calf and the Lord was very angry with Aaron, he says in verse 20, and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for him also at the same time. I love that so much. The intercession of Moses for Israel and the intercession of Moses for the elders, for the priesthood. Moses' intercession. And so powerful because look at Aaron. Look at Aaron. Yes, he committed a great sin. But in that great sin, he was humbled and he repented before the Lord. Now look, he became the high priest. He's dead. He's already passed away at this particular moment. But he became the high priest. You see? And Aaron repented. Now, Moses interceded. Now, the intercession of Moses, because the Lord, the Lord was very angry with Aaron. Moses interceded. Now, Aaron had his responsibility too. He, he still had to repent and come to the Lord. And praise be to the Lord that he did. You see, if you're a pastor and you're listening, Never, ever, ever forget your responsibility, your responsibility to intercede, to intercede for the flock. Not your flock. It's God's flock. You're, you're a steward. You're tending and you're caring and you're, you're teaching and you're pouring into them. But never forget. You have a responsibility. If the Lord called you, you have a responsibility. Never forget to intercede. And yes, even if you have the egregious sin, intercede for them. Just look at the egregious sin of Aaron. And Aaron, in the aftermath of repentance, became high priest. You see? You know what's so powerful about the work of the Lord through this all? Because when the Lord was giving Moses in that intimacy, when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints... Moses didn't come down the mountain and think like, okay, you know, I, I, I was just dreaming. This is crazy. Look, they got the golden calf. I'm done. I'm out of here. No, Moses remained faithful. The, the Lord, not to deify Moses, but Moses remained faithful. The Lord is always faithful. But Moses remained faithful to the Lord. You see? And there's going to be times when your world is going to be so rocked to the core, 
when that, not if that happens, when that happens, stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to the Lord. You see? Pastors, intercede for the flock that God has called you to tend and to care for. Intercede for them. Even with egregious sin, intercede. Now, you also have other responsibilities too, depending on the nature of the sin, depending on you know how many times they've been warned. I mean, we're going to study this hardcore when we get into our pastoral epistles, but still, intercede. Intercede. This is where doctrine becomes key because in the Calvinist and Reformed theory camp, a lot of pastors don't do this type of intercession because in accordance to their doctrine, they say, well, this guy, maybe he wasn't a believer. Maybe she wasn't a believer or he's predestined. Because of this fruit, they're predestined for hell. Because of this fruit, they're predestined for, you know, one is predestined for heaven. Okay, now I'm going to help this person. This person is predestined for hell. So, nope, they're just, they're gone. So I'm not going to, why intercede for somebody who's predestined for hell? God is sovereign. You can't change him. You got God is sovereign. Nothing's going to make the guy's going to hell. He's going to burn in hell. You see, and Satan, what does Satan get? A little, a little check mark in the victory camp, a little check mark in the victory side. Why? Because you have a pastor who's not interceding. He's not on his face before the Lord interceding for the one who has a lot of works of the flesh. A lot of sometimes egregious sin and a pastor in accordance to false doctrine says, well, he's predestined for hell. So I'm not going to intercede for him. You know, God is sovereign. He's already made his choice. No. No. If you're in the Calvinist, Calvinist and Reformed church, ask your pastor. Ask your pastor how he intercedes for you. And an improper understanding of predestination prohibits the exercise of pastoral care, biblical pastoral care. And I say to you, get a new pastor. Get a new teacher. And come out of her, my people. We are living in perilous times. Very, very dangerous days. And it is prophesied for the church, saints, it is prophesied for saints To be asleep. What do you see today? Saints are asleep. You see? And all of scripture will be fulfilled. And so we see this. The intercession of Moses in verse 21. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it. You see? The calf, you see Moses as a type of type of Christ. You see Joshua as a type of Christ. Leaders in the wilderness and the leader in the wilderness and leader to the promised land. But you also see the golden calf as a type of Christ. Whoa. How could something so evil be a type of Christ? What in the world? Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21, Brother Paul says this, For he made him who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, 
See, how could something so ugly like the golden calf be a type of Christ? Yes, the golden calf, but a type of Christ in speaking about the sin. The sin. And look what happens to that very symbol of sin being the calf. Being the calf. I burned it with fire and crushed it, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 21. I burned it in the fire and crushed it, you see. And that's what happens to your sin and my sin in Christ. In Christ, you must believe in Jesus Christ. It's a transfer of debt. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That is always the case. The wages of sin is death. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, it's a holy transaction. All of a sudden, your sin transfers from you to Jesus Christ, and he died. He paid the price for your sin, and sin was burned and crushed. Look at, in accordance to the law, look at where the burning happens. You see? In fulfillment of the law, Golgotha, Mount Calvary. You see? Everything. Remember the warning label that came with Leviticus? You see, it's because these warning labels that come in our study through the Old Testament, especially the Torah, mostly a little bit of Exodus, but mostly Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I don't want you to be seduced into the law. And it's easy to happen because you read passages. It's like, wow, okay, the the Lord, I want to be blessed by the Lord. So I'm going to do this, 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 this. But this is the old covenant. The law is the additive to the promise, to the seed. And the seed has come. The seed is here. His name is Jesus Christ. So he says of the golden calf, he burned it with fire in verse 21 and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. You see? Notice what the calf became. Dust. Dust. And it leaves Horeb. To those who have ears. Also at Tabera and Massa and Kibroth and Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Oh my goodness, Moses. Moses, come on, we're going. Come on, Moses, you're old. You know, we heard that you're not going to go to the promised land. The least you could do, Moses. Come on. Okay. Tell us something good. Come on. Come on, Moses. You're. You're going too far, Moses. Look, you, how many times have you told us? Well, you told us we're stiff-necked. You told us our parents were stiff-necked. You told us that we provoked the Lord to anger. Not just once, not just twice, not just thrice. You told us all these things. You you, you mentioned because of, you know, that all these things happened, how we provoked the Lord to wrath. And you gave these examples. And here we are in, I'm just going to say chapter 9. But, you know, here we are in chapter 9. But you also did it in the previous chapters. And. It doesn't seem like you're stopping, but come on, Moses. Can you please tell us something good? Please, Moses, look, we're passing over. We're, the journey is just like a little bit. It's not even that long. And Please, Moses, come on, tell us something good. And Moses, Moses, not a man pleaser, is telling this generation what they need to hear. Do not forget the Lord. All these times at Tabera, Massa, Kibroth, Hatava, 
you provoked the Lord to wrath. More. He's not stopping. Moses isn't a man pleaser. He's a servant of the Lord in the master's house. Remember our study through Hebrews, if you've been walking with us for a while. This is the inability of the law. The law cannot touch the heart. A new covenant can. A better law, which is the fulfillment of the law, but it's the law of faith. You see? I'll say it like the old school teachers. I love the old school teachers, like pre-1950. Faith, faith, you know, the uh, Irish guys, the Scottish guys, faith. I love listening to these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men. The law of faith. Faith is a law? What are you talking about? Listen to our study through Romans. You'll understand. And for this next generation, you guys need to hear this. You see? Oh, but mommy and daddy, how could they how could they lead me wrong? They love me. How could they lead me wrong? Maybe they don't know. Look at the fruit. When you look at the fruit, the fruit will will reveal. They do not know. You see? They do not know. And you look at this previous generation, the one who's now dead in the wilderness. They knew. They knew. But disobedience came at a heavy cost. But this next generation, they need to know this. So that they can teach it to their kids and to their grandkids and to their great-grandkids. And then so their great-grandkids can teach it to their kids and their grandchildren and their great So that the name of the Lord can continue on generation to generation. And through that lineage, the promises of God travels. Until the seed. Until the seed. And the seed is here. You see? Oh, but mommy and daddy love me. Okay. Okay. Let the dead bury the dead. Can these dead bones walk? Oh, Lord, you know. Speak to the bones. To those who have ears. 23, likewise. Verse 23, likewise. When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. Remember what brother James says? Faith without works. We see here at the end of verse 23, you did not believe him nor obey his voice. The two are together. You cannot have one without the other. And Brother James says, faith without works is dead. People misapply that. They say works. They think of like the J-dubs. They think, okay, you know, am I going to knock on doors and, you know, I get 50 converts in a month, so I'll be saved. No, that's works-based salvation. But I'm not, Brother James doesn't talk about works-based. He says faith without works. But when he says works, he doesn't mean works like the J-dubs, the Jehovah's Witness. He says works as in obedience because he points to Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the passage, Abraham and Isaac, you know exactly what you see. 
obedience unto the Lord. You see? Obedience unto the Lord. Faith without works is dead. Belief without obedience is dead. You say, wait a second. What do you mean belief without obedience is dead? Okay. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. Are they saved? Are they going to enter the promised land? No. They're going to enter the lake of fire. You see? Even the demons believe. The demons believe, but they do not obey the Most High. You see? You and me believe. But where is obedience? There we go. You see? Verse 24. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Come on, Moses. <laughs> Moses, Moses, come on. Come on, Moses. We want to feel good about ourselves. Moses, can't you tell us something good, please? We've begged you before and you did not stop. You kept continuing. And yeah, we understand you're not a man pleaser, but Moses, please tell us something good. Old, beautiful Moses, not a man pleaser. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Speaking to this next generation, Moses, we weren't even born yet. Imagine Moses, but I held you when you were a little kid. And yeah, it was, it was kind of cute, but I knew. That's carnality. And then you, I saw you when you were three years old. And yeah, it's kind of cute. But that's carnality. Mommy, daddy, you better address that carnality. And I remember when you were five years old, mommy, daddy, you better address that carnality because your kids are starting to act like you. You see? And I remember when you were 10 years old and uh, mommy, daddy, it's getting kind of late in the kid's age. He's 10 years old and you still haven't addressed the carnal nature. What do you want to be his friend or you want to be his parent? You want to be his best friend or you want to be his mom? You want to be his dad? Come on, parents. What's the matter with you guys? This kid, he's 10 years old. He's That's the carnal nature that I saw when he was three. It was cute then. It's not cute anymore. Now the kid's 20. Okay, parents. Parents, you know, I wish I could tell you, parents, but you know you were swallowed up when, you know, the, the, the earth opened up and swallowed up. I wish I could tell you, parents, but because, you know, you followed Korah, the earth has swallowed you. I wish I could tell you, parents, but you're not here anymore. You're, you're dead. You died in the wilderness because of your unbelief, your disobedience, and your carnal nature. You're dead in the wilderness, parents. And I wish I could speak to you, but because you're not here anymore, your kid's 20 years old now. And when I saw this carnality at age three, and I saw it getting worse at age five, at age eight, at age 12, at age 15, and here he is, age 20 now. And this kid... He reminds me of you guys. He reminds me of you. You just, you behave the exact same way as mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy were your influencers instead of this godly guy next door, instead of this godly lady next door, instead of this godly kid next door, instead of this guy looking at several houses down, several tents down, instead of these godly examples, people who fear the Lord. You see? You want mommy and daddy to be influencers? Look, the earth opened up. They're gone. They're dead. 
You want that to be your influence? You see, parents, wake up, parents, wake up. These days are evil. And if you don't teach your kids, if the world teaches your kids, you're in a world of hurt and they're in a world of hurt too. These days are evil. These days are treacherous. Verse 24, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus, look at Moses, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Moses. Thus, I prostrated myself before the Lord. (sighs) I just want to die in the Bible. (laughs) Sometimes I read passages like this. It's like, man, I want to die here, you know. Thus, I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights, I kept prostrating myself. I kept prostrating myself, he says. Pastors. Pastors. Pastors, wake up. Wake up. If you have a flock, if you don't have a flock, you're teachers. Pastors with a flock. Wake up. Wake up. Prostrating yourself before the Lord, interceding for the saints. It's not a one-time deal. Look at verse 18. Because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord... To provoke him to anger, verse 19, I was afraid. At least somebody was afraid. At least somebody had the fear of the Lord. At least somebody retained the fear of the Lord. You see? In verse 23, at the end, you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You wanted your influencers to be the previous generation, which is now dead. Remember Korah? Remember Korah? Remember the plague that the, that the Lord sent forth and people were dying just dead, 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 and finally the beautiful javelin. Remember? Verse 24, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. Oh, but Moses, you, you held me when I was a little kid. I know, I know. I held you when you were a little kid. And I saw the carnal, the carnal nature right there. I told mommy and daddy, look, you better put that in check. Mommy and daddy wanted to be your friend. They didn't want to teach you in the ways of righteousness. Now look, mommy and daddy are dead. You see? Who's your influencer? Who's your influencer? You see? Very perilous times that we're in these days. In these last days. Children, that's like... The deepest war zone is with children, like under age, I don't know, 18, under age 18, from age three to 18. That's like the most deadly battle zone right there. Maybe four, but I say three, age three to 18. And parents, if you do not address the carnal nature 
in that, I mean, not, not three to 18, probably like three to eight. If you do not address the carnal nature from three to, and I'm not talking about beat it out of your kids, teach them by example. And from time to time, you might have to bust out the belt. No, not to a bloody pulp, but spare the rod, spoil the child. Teach. Train, equip. You're going to do a lot of damage to your children if you don't teach them well. Teach them wisely. You see? And now all of a sudden, you see this beautiful intercession of this beautiful man of the Lord, this beautiful man of God, a servant in the master's house. Yes, the sin which you guys, your sin which you committed in doing in verse 18, uh, wickedly in the sight of the Lord. And in, 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 in verse uh, uh, 23, you did not believe him nor obey him. You have been, in verse 24, rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And look at, look at the resolve of this godly man. I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days, forty nights, I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Wow. Intimacy with the Lord is so incredibly beautiful. But if you're a pastor, even an elder, but mostly if you're a pastor, it's scary too. It's scary too because the Lord will reveal to you this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what they have done and this is what I'm doing as a result. And that's scary. Not all the time, but sometimes. And the Lord never changes. God is the same yesterday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I never change, saith the Lord. You see, remember beautiful Samuel when there was no widespread revelation from the Lord, the Lord was silent. He wasn't, the Lord was not speaking to Eli, the high priest. The Lord wasn't speaking to his sons who were also in the service of the the temple. They were also in service. Except they were unserviceable themselves. Why? Because of carnality. And the Lord spoke to young Samuel. Little young Samuel. No widespread revelation. The Lord was not speaking to the high priest. Which in the law is written that the Lord speaks to the high priest at the mercy seat. And yet the Lord wasn't speaking to him. The Lord spoke to little Samuel. Remember Eli, Samuel, what did the Lord say? I don't want to tell you. (laughs) Eli, let's change the subject, Eli. I don't want to tell you. No, 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 no. Tell me. No, 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 no. Eli, please. Samuel, listen. You tell me exactly what the Lord says. Okay, I'll tell you. Since you insist, I'll tell you what the Lord says. Okay. Your sons are going to be dead. And you, Eli, high priest, the Lord is going to kill you too. Thus saith the Lord. You wanted to know. You wanted to know. There, I told you. 
ici. It's hardcore. Remember, to whom is given, much more is required. Now you see the beauty of humility. Humility. We wear it as a badge of honor. The world looks down on humility. Oh, you know, we got to be pride, you know, loud and proud. You know, you're, you know, this, whatever, you know, you're this, you're that, and you're this, and you're that. Oh, be proud about it. No, the Christian, the saint, we wear humility like a badge of honor. The world will hate you. The world will step all over you. The world will. But the world will be condemned. We're not of this world. You see? You see the intercession of Moses here. In verse 26, Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance. I love this because Israel, you know, they have an inheritance in the promised land, according to the Lord. But Israel is an inheritance themselves unto the Lord. You see how beautiful this is. Do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see Moses' intercession. Remember your servants. Now, it's, you see the boldness that Moses has with the Lord. And yes, it is beautiful. But... I'll just say this. Be careful with your boldness to God. <laughs> you better be a Christian. You better, and when I say you better be a Christian, you better be abiding in Christ. We boldly approach the throne of grace. But you better be abiding in Christ. And I don't say that as a threat. Like, if you don't do that, the Lord's going to kill you. I don't mean it like that. And that's what's so beautiful about studying the Old Testament is because we get a healthy dose of understanding the character of the Lord. To approach Him, yes, in boldness, but it's not a carnal boldness. It's spiritual. It's deep. It's much deeper. Because the world has an idea of what boldness looks like, and that's carnal. But boldness in Christ is its not of this world. The same way the world, remember when uh, uh, Brother Paul was talking about godly sorrow and making the distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow, that's not good. That will lead you to the bottle. That will lead you to crack. That will lead you to suicide. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. You see? Worldly boldness is carnal. But boldness in Christ is... It's beautiful. Always remember with humility, with humility. And, the, and Moses says here in verse 27, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their, or on their wickedness or their sin. You see the intercession of Moses as a type of Christ. Lest the land from which you brought us should say, quote, because the Lord was not able. Because the Lord was not able. You see? This is what the, the peoples would say. 
He wasn't able to bring them out to the land which he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. You see, remember, there's nothing new under the sun. These are things that the Antichrist and those who are with him will say, where is your God now? Where is your God now? Look, the God's not able to bring you to safety. God's not able. Look, he hates you. God has brought you here. He's going to kill you. Where, how is your God all powerful? Nothing new under the sun. The same thing is going to happen and it's happening now. It's happening now. Remember, this is Moses in his intercession for this state of Israel. Not the state of Israel proper. I mean this state in accordance to the flesh and their state being their provocation unto the Lord, to anger, to wrath, their stiff-necked nature. Do not forget how you provoked the Lord, he says in verse 7. They quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. He says it again, you're a stiff-necked people in verse 13. This is verse 16, you've sinned against the Lord. Verse 16, he says it again. You have turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord commanded you. Verse 18, he says it again. All your sin which you committed in doing wickedly. You see? Verse 23, you did not believe him nor obey his voice. Verse 24, you have been rebellious. And then you see the intercession. Verse 25, I kept prostrating myself. I kept prostrating myself. Pastors, pastors, be on your face before the Lord for your flock. Not your flock. I say your flock, but you're the steward, caretaker. If you don't have a flock, you're a teacher. If the Lord has called you to teach, But if you have a flock as a pastor serving in a pastor capacity, be on your face before the Lord. If the Lord has called you to teach, then teach. But especially pastors, be on your face before the Lord interceding for the saints. Moses, like Moses here in verse 25, I kept prostrating myself because the Lord said he would destroy you. It's like Eli, you know. Samuel, what did the Lord tell you? I, no, I don't want to tell you, Eli. No, I insist. Tell me, okay. You and your sons. You guys are going to be dead. The Lord is going to kill you. You see? Pastors, in your intimacy with the Lord, on behalf of the flock of God, what is it that the Lord tells you? What is it that the Lord tells you? It's very sobering. Very, very sobering. You intercede. You intercede. That's if you're a pastor. Elders, you can partake in this too. And you know, it's important for you to learn to partake in this responsibility. But you're also a caretaker and overseer of the flock. 
And you can free up your pastor. My pastor, you know, don't worry about this problem that's here in the church. We'll take care of this. And when I say you'll take care of it, take care of it in a godly manner. No, we'll take care of it and take the guy out back and beat him up. Don't do that. No, pastor, you know, we know you need time to study the word. We want you to study the word because you feed us and you feed the flock. And we want you to study the word. We also know that you pray like crazy and you're on your face before the Lord interceding for us. And pastor, we want you to keep doing that in your service and in honor of the Lord. Keep doing that. Yes, there's these problems in the fellowship. But you have taught us, you have poured into us. And you know, me and this elder and this elder will take care of this. And if there's anything like major, we'll, you know, We'll let, you know, we'll keep you in the loop, you know, you're going to know about it and pray for us in this capacity and pray for us in serving. You see, all of it in a godly manner, not carnal, get rid of the carnal. The carnal nature will kill you. The carnal nature will kill you because of you. The spiritual nature will kill you because of the Lord. You see? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm persecuted. I'm so persecuted. Why? This guy said I was a jerk and he beat me up. And it's like, wait a second. You're kind of a jerk, buddy. You're kind of a jerk. That's the carnal nature. You got beat up because of the carnal nature. But then look at Stephen. The guy comes around the corner. Oh my goodness, Stephen. He was just stoned to death. And there's the sorrow of that. The death of Stephen. But there's also the beauty he died because of Christ. He didn't die because of him. He died because of Christ. You see? Oh, I got beat up. I got beat up. Them persecuted. Why are you persecuted? Well, you know, the guy cussed me out and I cussed him out. And, you know, uh, he, he wanted to go in the parking lot and fight. And so I went in the parking lot and I fought with him and all these things. Okay. Well, he got beat up because of you. Oh, I got punched in the face. Look, I got a slice across my cheek. Look, that guy pulled a knife on me. I got a slice across my cheek. What did you do? What happened? I wanted to come in to come to Christ, and his friend became a Christian right there. And I wanted him to become a Christian, and you know, he became combative. And you know, I started to pray. I got him. You know, he punched me in the stomach. You know, I fell on my knees, and I started to pray. And he pulled out a knife, and he, I pulled away quickly. But if I didn't pull away, he would have like I would have got it in the neck. And but I got it. it's like okay, that's persecution because of the Lord. We must make these distinctions, understanding that the flesh will kill you, but the spirit will also get you killed. But that's because of Christ, even more so in these last days. And pastors, intercede for your flock. You see, intercede for your flock. Elders, free up your pastor's time. So that your pastor can study the word, be on his face before the Lord in his intimacy with the Lord. And in his intimacy with the Lord, he's going to be praying about the study, what to say. But he's also going to be interceding for the saints, including yourselves, elders. You see? And for the more mature elders, you start partaking in pastoral responsibilities because your pastor is getting old. And your pastor is going to die. And in your pastor, they're in that fellowship, they're going to need another pastor.
You see? A lot of pastors say, okay, I'm grooming my son to be in the, the ministry. No, don't do that. Look for godliness. Godliness is not always found, rarely found in the same family. Look for godliness in the flock. You see? If the Lord has called you to teach, then teach. But pastors, those with a flock to care for and tend, have a very specific responsibility, along with elders. Teachers keep teaching. We are entering, we are entering extremely, extremely dangerous times the of the utmost severity, like straight up life and death. And it is prophesied in the last days for the church to be asleep. And the church today is asleep. Not everywhere. But the church today is asleep. Seduced into slumber. In closing, look at the intercession of Moses. And in his intercession, well, turn with me to Numbers 12 really quick. In Numbers 12. In Numbers 12, we see this. In Numbers 12, verse 6. And then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. There's something different about Moses. He's not like the average bear. He is faithful in all my house, he says. This is the Lord speaking about Moses. I speak with him face to face, he says, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And this is when, you know, uh, Miriam and Aaron, they start to say, oh, you know, Moses, the Lord can speak for us too. We can also be leaders. We can also do this. And the Lord chastised them. Now, people always rail against what they refer to as the Moses model. I don't do that. Because when you look biblically at the Moses model, remember the Lord, what he did with Aaron. What he did with Aaron's sons, not the ones who died. Look at what the Lord, the Lord establishes the priesthood, the, Le, the Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim. Moses isn't alone. In one sense, you could see, wow, Moses is alone. But in the course of time, don't forget, there was Joshua. You see, the Lord, people always like to think of ministry as like a family affair. Oh, you know, I'm a pastor. So I, when I die, my son is going to be the next pastor and I'm grooming my son. No, very, very, very rarely will you find righteousness in the same. I mean, I shouldn't say it righteous, but very rarely will you find the pastoral call in the same roof. Very, very rarely. Sometimes it happens. But you must look for the righteous in accordance to the Spirit. I mean, if you're a pastor and you're like an old pastor and you're dying or you're going to die like in five years, 
Well, you know, it could be longer, you know, whatever. Maybe two years. You look for righteousness. You look for righteousness. Observe the fruit in the flock, in the fellowship. When people enter ministries, they serve as deacons, they serve as elders. Usually the passage goes from pew. I mean, you hear us say from time to time, if you're a pew Christian or make the distinction between worker and field, it's not to say that you're going to be stuck in the, in the, in, 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 in the, in the pew. And it's not to say that you're a building in the field and you're going to stay there. But in order to get to a worker, usually the progression is pew uh and in another capacity sometimes you know like uh uh certain ministries like serving in tables like we see with steven and philip and five other guys and one of them it didn't turn out so well remember our study in the book of acts you see the progression of certain ministries you see philip you know he served in tables and he became an evangelist you see, and in this progression, you see the inclusion. Okay, this person is now serving in a uh, deacon capacity. Okay, now this person is serving in an elder capacity. Now this person is serving as pastor. You see, very rarely is it in the same household. If you're a pastor and you're like, you know, you're using your son as co-pastor or, you know, you have your son as, you know, you're grooming him for to be the next pastor. Or if you, you're you a pastor and you've never had sons, you only have daughters. And now because of that, you want to keep everything in the same family. And now you're changing doctrine to align with your desire. And you say, okay, now we're going to have females as elders, females as pastors, because I want my daughter to be the next pastor. That's carnal. You need to repent and very likely step down. Definitely need to repent. I would say go on hiatus. Seek the face of the Lord. It's very important. For the name of our Lord. To honor Him. To glorify Him. In this intercession of Moses in verse 29, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 29, in closing... Yet they are your people and your inheritance. This is Moses interesting. I mean, like, imagine the shock of this next generation. They're hearing Moses. Okay, Moses, tell us something good. And then boom, 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 boom. It's like, whoa. One right at the other. Okay, we get it, Moses. We're stiff-necked. Like, we get it. We get it that we rebel. We have this tendency to rebel. We get that we were like our parents, and now our parents are dead. We get it. We understand, Moses. But in this intercession, Moses is revealing to them, listen, there was, the Lord was merciful. Not like, oh, look how awesome I am. Look, I interceded for you. Look how awesome I am. No. The Lord was merciful. Just as he said he would be, the Lord showed you mercy. He's all, he showed you grace for sure. Absolutely. But he's also shown you his mercy. And this next generation of righteousness, they need to hear this and they need to understand that they've seen the handiwork of the Lord. But they also need to hear, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. He says in verse 29, yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. You see? 
even the very law itself testifies of Moses' intercession, not by law, not by law. I mean, it's the very law itself testifies of this intercession, but it's not by law. It's by promise because look what is written here in verse 29. They are your people and your inheritance. No mention of like, according to the law, Lord, you know, look, your law says this. Therefore, we don't approach the Lord like lawyers. We don't go to the throne of the Lord like lawyers. Okay, Lord, your word says this and you know this, this and try to corner him and trap him and trap the Lord so that my will can be accomplished. No, that's satanic. That's demonic. That's Luciferian. He wanted to be exalted. Remember the five I wills? I will, I will, I will. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? Thy will. Thy will. Don't come to the Lord. Never, ever, ever come to the Lord like a lawyer. Okay, Lord, your word says this, and over here it says this, and over here it says this, and over here this, and this, this, this. And therefore, Lord, this is what you will do for me. No, that's my will. That's Luciferian. Look at Jesus Christ. Lord, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. But yet... Not my will, Lord. Father, thy will. You see? Complete and total submission to the Lord. And the very law itself testifies of the promise. Remember, it's the promise as is written in verse 27 to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. The law was added until the sin. The law was added because of transgression, because of sin, because of the very things that Moses is writing about. Like, look at all the wow, Moses! Come on, you should, we want a pep talk, and look at your talk. Okay, we get it. We're we forget. We're your stiff necked. We get it. We have turned aside from the way. We are, you know, uh, uh, we sinned against the Lord. The sin which is vast, and we get it. We did not obey. We didn't. We get it, Moses. Thank the Lord for the law. Thank the Lord for the law, which today is still holy, but there's a greater glory. And that is in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the law is the additive. It was added because of transgression until the seed should come. And the seed is here now. Jesus Christ, fulfillment of the law and the promise. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand this. But it's so beautiful because you see this walk of Israel. And the whole time, what do you see? Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to end our study here and Lord, Lord willing, pick up in chapter 10 next week to the beautiful people of the way, remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.